If you're gay, then you're gay. Don't pretend that you're straight. You could be who you are any day of the week. You are unlike the others, so strong and unique. We're all with you. If you're straight, well, that's great. You can help procreate and make gay little babies for the whole human race. Make a world we can live in where the one who you love's not an issue. Cause we're all somewhere in the middle. We're all just looking for love to change the world. Ah. And we're all here in it together. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to IMRU Radio Magazine. The nation's longest running lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender radio show. Out front and out loud since 1974. I'm Abby Dees. And I'm Steve Pride. And after our national and international news wrap tonight, we'll talk about news and journalism in Los Angeles with Troy Masters, publisher and editor of the recently launched The Pride newspaper. That is such a great name for anything. Yeah, I thought it was you under another Mm. identity. Well, Tangerine was one of the best-reviewed films of 2015. There was even an Oscar campaign for its transgendered star. So how did this low-budget iPhone film come together? I sat down with director and writer Sean Baker to get the 411. And speaking of movies, we'll also explore a gay horror camp film, not as in going to camp but camp in the way that we do it best, on its way to becoming a classic. While that's not exactly a genre ripe with examples, You're Killing Me earned the status honestly, nailing a unique and hysterical tone that says a lot more about the state of gay culture than we might want to admit. Later in the show, we'll be joined by director, co-writer Jim Hansen and star Matthew McKelligan, and you'll have a chance to win your very own copy of the film on DVD. So stay by your phones. But first, the national and international news from This Way Out. I'm Wenzel Jones. And I'm Carol Myers. With News Wrap, a summary of some of the news interaffecting LGBT communities around the world for the week ending March 12, 2016. Lawmakers in India refused on March 11th to consider repealing the antiquated anti-gay sex law the nation inherited from its former British colonizers in 1860. It's the second time in the past three months the politicians have voted to keep infamous Penal Code Section 377 in force, which criminalizes carnal intercourse against the order of nature and punishes consensual adult gay sex with up to 10 years in prison. It was ruled unconstitutional by the Delhi High Court in 2009, but unexpectedly reinstated by the Supreme Court in 2013. A private member's bill offered once again by National Congress MP Shashi Tharoor to repeal the statute was rejected by a vote of 58 to 14 this week, with one abstention. His first effort in December 2015 was defeated by a vote of 71 to 24. Shashi wrote on Twitter that it was another bitter disappointment. Several MPs who promised to vote in favor were absent. Despite activists' best efforts, members of Prime Minister Narendra Modi's ruling Bharatiya Janata Party have consistently opposed reform. Tarur has called it a simple case of religious bigotry. The Supreme Court's 2013 ruling said that only lawmakers could repeal the statute. 
But the High Court agreed earlier this year to hear what's called a curative petition to reverse that ruling. While there's no specific timetable, its deliberations could be the last chance for judicial repeal of India's odious Section 377. The escalating war on LGBT people in Indonesia has prompted rights groups to set up safe houses and hotlines for sexual minorities. Fearing anti-queer violence, they're suggesting that gay people delete LGBT-friendly websites and cut social media ties with anyone who might disapprove of them. It all began in January when Indonesia's higher education minister proposed banning out LGBT students from the nation's college campuses because they violate the nation's morals. The defense minister has since warned that the LGBT rights movement was intent on brainwashing Indonesia's into acceptance. The Indonesia Psychiatric Association declared last month that LGBT people are mentally ill. The country's broadcasting regulator has banned TV and radio programming that portrays sexual minorities as normal to protect children who are susceptible to duplicating deviant LGBT behaviors. Dedi Otomo, founder of Gay Nas Santara, the country's leading LGBT rights group, told the Reuters News Service this week that the unprecedented legislative and theological assault on LGBT rights by government officials and leading Muslim clerics even has some activists making plans on how to flee the country if things get much worse. My guys don't even go to the office anymore. It's too dangerous, he said. We've never really experienced this. In other news, the U.S. Supreme Court on March 7th reversed the Alabama State Supreme Court's refusal to recognize co-parent adoptions by same-gender couples. An unnamed lesbian filed the appeal after Alabama's highest court refused to recognize her adoption of the three children she helped raise with her former partner. After the women separated, the birth mother denied her former partner visitation rights. The ex-partner then established temporary residency in Georgia, and a court there granted her adoption rights to the three children. Alabama's high court dismissed the Georgia ruling, however, saying it had no jurisdiction there, effectively denying the ex-partner any rights as a parent. But the Supreme Court overturned the Alabama decision because it had failed to honor the full faith and credit provisions of the U.S. Constitution writing that a state may not disregard the judgment of a sister state because it disagrees with the reasoning underlying the judgment or deems it to be wrong on the merits. According to BuzzFeed, the U.S. High Court decision was unanimous. But a federal judge in Puerto Rico ruled this week that the June 2015 Supreme Court marriage equality ruling doesn't extend to U.S. territories. District Court Judge Juan Perez Jimenez ruled on March 8 that Puerto Rico's marriage ban was still in force because the Commonwealth is an unincorporated territory and not the functional equivalent of a state. Perez Jimenez ruled against marriage equality in Puerto Rico in 2014 and was overruled. The island's governor, Alejandro Garcia Padilla, quickly told reporters that, I'm going to respect the rulings of the higher courts, which thankfully ordered matters to proceed much differently than Judge Perez Jimenez and the advocacy group Lambda Legal says it plans to challenge the ruling. Staff attorney Omar Gonzalez Pagan said in a statement that the U.S. Supreme Court has indisputably held that the constitutional guarantees of liberty and equality apply with equal force to the Commonwealth. After a record-breaking Democratic filibuster of more than 39 hours, the Missouri State Senate's dominant Republican majority voted 23-7 to 7 on March 10th to protect people opposed to marriage equality from state sanctions. 
Senate Joint Resolution 39 establishes a constitutional amendment that prohibits the state from penalizing clergy, religious organizations, individuals, and certain business people who act on their religious beliefs against civil marriages between two people of the same gender. The measure now goes to the House, which has a two-to-one Republican majority. Because it's a proposed constitutional amendment, the bill does not require the approval of Missouri Governor Jay Nixon, who's a Democrat. He joined major businesses in the state this week that have included Dow Chemical and Monsanto, along with the St. Louis Chamber of Commerce, to oppose the proposal as discriminatory. Nixon said in a statement this week that the bill would be contrary to our values and be harmful to our economy. If it passes in the House, voters would be asked to approve the constitutional amendment at the ballot box. And finally, officials in Stockton have canceled the Central California City's annual Easter sunrise service rather than face the possibility of celebrating with LGBT worshippers. The event organizer, Stockton Police Chaplain Jim Reed, rescinded an invitation to the Reverend Terry Miller after he found out that she leads the LGBT Welcoming Valley Ministries, telling her that, We are diametrically different in our view of scripture when it comes to homosexuality. Reed was soon placed on leave by the Stockton Police Department and later fired. After the head of the Stockton Leadership Foundation re-invited Miller and her wife, the organization, where Reed remains a board member, unexpectedly canceled the event. A news release said there was concern that the Easter services transforming message will be overshadowed as a result of the well-publicized clergy invitations. Miller said she was very sad that the decision had been made to cancel the 17th annual event. She told the Stockton Record newspaper that, These folks, who claim to be Christians, are squandering this opportunity because of some perceived differences instead of uniting under the banner of what this day is supposed to mean. That's News Wrap for the week ending March 12, 2016. Produced by Steve Pride, written by Greg Gordon, and recorded at the studios of KPFK Los Angeles. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap from This Way Out is brought to you by you. Help keep us on the air and in your ears at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast. For This Way Out, I'm Carol Myers. And I'm Wenzel Jones. Remember, you can hear all 30 commercial-free minutes of This Way Out on the podcast at thiswayout.org or on iTunes or on SoundCloud or on Stitcher. Also on the show this week, Hillary gets a history lesson and Bernie wonders why she needed it. Mia Taylor becomes the first trans person to win an Independent Spirit Film Award as Best Supporting Actress in Tangerine. And the film's director and co-writer Sean Baker brings dialogue clips and music to his chat with Steve Pride about the extremely independent movie. Of course, you can hear my interview with the director of Tangerine later in this very show. But first, we want to welcome a new member of the community who is joining us in studio tonight. His name is Troy Masters, and he's the publisher and editor of a new LGBT newspaper called The Pride. Which I think is a brilliant <laughs> name, as Steve Pride. Yes. But he is going to sue you. it after me oh. is such <laughs> an not? honor. It's an L.A. thing to do, right? <laughs> but let's start at the beginning. You are not from here. No, I'm not. I'm, uh, <clears throat> I spent the last 30 years in New York, so where I was also publisher of the LGBT newspaper there, I founded Gay City News um, in 1992 or 1993. We changed the name. Actually, the original name was LGNY, Lesbian Gay New York. And then later, after 9-11, it sort of became apparent that we needed a a larger company. 
And so we uh, joined a group of papers, and it became Gay City News at that time, which I published until last year, which uh, I made the big decision to jump across the Grand Canyon. <laughs> In so many ways. Uh, I mean, did what brought you out here? Was it personal? Was it a news opportunity? Uh, a number of things. There's a National Gay Media Association, which is uh, is a collection of all of the LGBT top layer newspapers, which we had founded uh, along the way. Me, uh, the, as a publisher of Gay City News, uh, Tracy Bame and the uh, Windy City Times, uh, uh, the, Leo Cusimano at the Dallas Voice, and uh, a, a number of the major LGBT newspapers across the country, Atlanta, Baltimore, I mean, not Baltimore, uh, Atlanta, Boston, um, Chicago, Dallas, all there was one ones. missing. San Francisco was there. The L.A. doesn't have a, a, an LGBT newspaper. So I was like, I was personally uh, at realizing the, the problem with the group in terms of the marketing position of the, the group with major advertisers and others that Los Angeles is the number two city in America and it doesn't have an LGBT newspaper. It has other media, but not a newspaper. So sort of became a personal mission for me. So. Having lived in New York and L.A., what are the challenges, do you think, for um, distributing news here in L.A. that are different than in New York? I've learned a lot uh, just in the past 12 issues of the paper. One of the biggest issues, I think, with Los Angeles is the size of the city. You know, New York is a small village, and you can pretty much guarantee that you're going to run across 20,000 copies of a newspaper because the street boxes are on the streets. There's a, a very specific sort of trail that people live their lives in. But Los Angeles is a huge, giant place. And you sort of have to specifically target areas. And I'm, I've learned that that's the trick for an LGBT newspaper here. Because in the past, I think people tried to cover Los Angeles. They would go to uh, the outer regions. They would go to like less densely populated areas. I've tried to focus on distribution methods that reach people. So we're doing home-to-home um, -home deliveries in West Hollywood and Hollywood. We're doing like specific key neighborhoods and then strips of property uh, where we were purchased some street boxes. So we have about 40 street boxes throughout the city. I hope you can uh, consider KPFK as a drop-off point because we have Frontiers out front. The, oh, uh, then I, we're here. <laughs> <laughs> and I Sorry. get Frontiers every time it comes out for the uh -huh. cover. I almost never open it. Yeah, well, I, that's terrible. You don't open it? Well, the Why? cover is... You're saying this on the air. I did when Karen Oakham was the news director. Oh, Karen. Yeah, Karen. But you've been using yeah. Karen a little mm -hmm. bit. Uh, Karen started with the last issue of The Pride, which came out last Friday, or just started distribution on Friday. Um, and her first article with us was about the, um, the, the, the unfortunate incident that happened with Mitch Gro Grobison. So uh, we did some coverage of that, and she did some coverage of the, uh, the uh, anti-gay batches out in Lin Indio. So, yeah, she just jumped right in. It was pretty amazing. That would be she. We're t we are talking about the same person I know. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what is your vision for this paper? Uh, 
it's it has to be very responsive. Uh, one of the challenges that we're facing as a community in 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 media in general with our with the community's media is mission. You know, the, a lot of the mission is accomplished. So now we get to look at what we've done and how it's being implemented. So you know, I think that's the biggest thing right now is just to to try to reorganize what LGBT media is. It can't just be uh, advocacy journalism anymore which I think it has tended to be in the past, and now it has to have more of a focus on very micro issues. So local, local news really becomes more important. And I feel like with the addition of Karen, you know, she's got that brain. You know, I need more people like her, more brains like hers to contribute to the paper. And I and we are really talking about a paper here. We're talking about print journalism. Print journalism. And... I was surprised to hear this. I thought mm-hmm. that is a gutsy thing to do is to start a print is. Uh, project from the beginning at this time when everyone seems to be saying print digital, journalism digital, is dead. Digital. Yeah. I don't believe that. I, I really believe that if that maybe in 10 years it's dead or it's changed, but significantly right now, the advertising is still very much print oriented. You can't get uh, the the same kind of revenue stream that you would get from a print product to support an online product because you need you you need uh, you need still revenues you know and like pay per click banner ads don't do it. Does it change the nature of the content that it's print? Um, it changes the 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 way you fashion that. You use the online version as the as a platform to build your content. And at the end of the day, when the print edition is ready to come out, you have to tailor it. It needs to be forever green in a way. So, yeah, it, it, they, they complement one another. They're, they're not opponents of one another. Like, I think it's been approached that way, though. Yeah, that, that, sound, that sounds right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of my problems with the online, specifically only online, right. uh, papers or magazines or whatever, has been the kind of New York Posty feeling of the headlines. If you like clickbait. Oh, I love that. It's just to get me to go there and click, and the story has nothing to do with Oh, you mean the, the web versions of articles versions are very, like, very... Well, the, I mean, talking about, I, don't, I don't want to be specific, but there are some that are just online. Well, there's a, you know, there's a real competition in that space. When they, like Twitter sort of changed the, the, the nature of uh, journalism in a sense because you, you had to capture people's attention in, in the most uh, uh, hyperbolic way, you know, to, to get people to read. But what I've found with clickbaiting is that people read headlines, but not articles. So what good is that? You know, it doesn't do anyone any good. You know, they, people see things on Facebook that have a hot, hot, hot headline and they like it, but they don't read it. So you can tell by the, you know, the metrics. So, I mean, it's very interesting. I, I think that question's a big one. What has been the response? You, you've got one issue out at this point. Is that correct? No, 12. We have 12. Good God. Did I? Okay, so I misunderstood. Yeah. <laughs> um, bi-weekly, so. Uh, bi-weekly, so every other week a new issue comes out, hits the streets. And what's the response been? The response has been really, really, really growing. You know, I like I knew I didn't want to hit the streets in a hard way and come in town with like a, you know, like the uh, you can't say these words on air, I guess, but <laughs> swinging it. You know, I, di- I didn't think that's appropriate. I think what's appropriate is a soft launch to build your product, and uh, especially in a market like LA, which is you know every bit as uh, competitive and sort of. Uh, I, I guess skeptical in some ways as any other market, like a, a, any other big market. 
Uh, you have to earn respect here. I mean, and I, I, I you know, I, I, I bring something to Los Angeles, mm -hmm. but I still have to earn respect. Hmm. Uh, yeah. And are, has anything surprised you? coming out to L.A. or any of the responses at this point? Well, L.A. seemed like a very big city when I was visiting from New York because I was on my way back to New York all the time. And the longer I've lived here, the more I realized this is a smaller, it's lots of small villages, you know. It's like, what, there are 85 towns in Los Angeles County that make L.A.? You know, it's pretty incredible. You know, it, it, it's so quiet here. <laughs> that's my, that's <laughs> the number one in thing. In some weird ways, that's yeah. absolutely true. Uh-huh. But I love it. It's a, especially uh, the vitamin D you get. <laughs> That's yeah. true. Uh -huh. I just went through your blizzard. I was oh. there in New oh. York. <laughs> I didn't miss that this year. You know, Is the thing. audience, are your readers different here than New York? Um, I feel like, I, I mean, I, I can't really answer the question except I know what has been most well-received. And the most well-received articles that we did were uh, – the, the, a very, very big one. We broke a story about uh, the guy in San Bernardino whose boyfriend saves four, three people. Um, and, and that was huge. I mean, it was like, it actually was a, a, a the, the launch that I couldn't have dreamed of. I mean, we got like 400,000 uh, page views on that, and I got dozens of calls from people. So, I mean, I, that, that kind of thing was, it was very, very well received, you know, and, and it brought, it drew attention to other articles on the, in the paper and uh, created a different, you know, uh, it, it gave me a lot of energy. I mean, I think so. one of the things about Los Angeles, I have lived here almost mm -hmm. all my life, I was born and raised here, is that, I mean, I'm sort of embarrassed about what I don't know. Mm -hmm. about what's happening in my own city. Yeah. And, you know, like when you sort of talk about local news, I really am sort of hard-pressed to think of something in the last year in our community that's happened in L.A. I know a lot has happened, but I have not, I'm not aware of it. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering what other stories, so you've got these, you've got some time now that you've been seeking these stories out. Um, give me some examples of stories, other stories you're sort of proud of that are local that well, other I mean, people haven't been looking at. I was very proud of the way Karen was able to handle the uh, Mitch Grobison story. We, we, we found a great real working relationship right off the bat. You know, she was telling me, well, here's what we need to do. Here's what I think we ought to cover. You go do this. I go do that. And then I would ask her questions and we would sort of refine where we were going with it. And I know that that's going to be the way that this works because like it's not – I'm I, – my ultimate aim is to make profitability for the paper. So I have to focus also on the business end of the paper. And uh, Karen and other people will eventually completely take over the editorial product. So my goal is that the, the community have its newspaper and it defines the newspaper that it needs. And I know that it, it needs to be more news-driven and more locally news-driven, um, but – it's all about having feelers on the ground and, and, and in some ways creating news. For instance, uh, when I first came to town, I, I launched the paper based on the, my perceptions that the crystal meth epidemic here mm -hmm. is out of control. And uh, we did a, a couple of articles about, um, well, one article about Grindr being a, a source of a, uh, a source of, as not, not the STD's uh, AIDS Healthcare Foundation idea where they considered it like a, 
uh, well, you know what I'm saying, right? A risk factor. A risk factor. But uh, a place where people saw it as an open market for purchase of mm-hmm. methamphetamine. Methamphetamine. So one writer did that. Another writer did another story. We did a, another story about the, uh, the epidemiology of, uh, of uh, methamphetamine and, and how it impacts the use of PrEP, whether or not people... Uh, you know, like a lot of issues. There are many of the same issues that were in New York are also here. So, you know, I think it, it, it'll it'll grow itself. It'll sort of be organic. I, I do wonder sometimes if we think that we don't need a paper. I think uh, I think we all sort of wonder that. Yeah, you know, and I it's think... sort of the the kind of side effect of our success as a community in some ways. Right. Well, also, I I think, though, that you can look at the quality between the granular nature of the reporting of the, of the gay press and the more broad approach to our issues in the mainstream press and see where the, the need for it is or the difference is. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I think that's what the, the value of the LGBT press has traditionally been. And, you know, if you, can't, you couldn't go back and create a history of uh, what happened in, well, in New York, um, without the gay press, you can look at gay rights history in New York and and report, create a book from coverage from the New York Times. I mean, you couldn't do that. You know, yeah. you you really the the whole nature of our our trajectory has been covered by ourselves. You know, I we're think. certainly not done. Um, so I am sitting in my home listening to this. I think mm-hmm. I want to find the pride. Right. And uh, so I know you're a print paper, but I presumably mm-hmm. you have an online source to get we that do. information. Um, if you go to thepridela.com, there is a link there that's called distribution on the left-hand side of the upper part of the page. And uh, send me an email from through that, and uh, we'll make sure that we get close to you. <laughs> yeah. You might have to go look for it, but, you know. Uh, we do home-to-home distribution only in certain zones at this point. The plan is to expand that as we can. So. One of the challenges we've had here is defining what is gay news because mm. all of us – whether you're gay or straight, you still need clean air to breathe. You still need a, a job that pays a decent wage. Yeah. So how do you define that? What is gay news? That's interesting. I, I think uh, gay news generally is like uh, it, it's if you are a, a gay person and your life is defined by your, your life is defined by a certain uh, traject, a, a certain number of like quantifiable issues. I think they're quantifiable. And uh, if something changes, if something moves that affects your rights or your, your, your place in the world or your job or your home or threatens anything to do with you because you're gay, that's news, I, I think. Um, is there like a mainstream version of that that can be reported? <laughs> on? Yes, I think there is. But. I'm really looking forward to seeing Damn what too. comes next from the Pride we are out of time. Thank you oh. so much, Troy, Thank for you, stopping Steve. by. Mm-hmm. We hope you'll come by again. Yeah. That we've not been um, too frightening to you. No, not <laughs> at all. Well, we're changing uh, tracks right now. One of the most lauded LGBT films of the last year, Tangerine, starred not just one, but two transgendered actresses. And it was filmed a little style on an iPhone 5, mm-hmm. primarily in and around the donut time on the corner of Highland and Santa Monica. And I have to say, when I go to the LGBT Center, that's my bus stop. So they were probably in the donut time filming this wonderful film at some background. point that I was outside. But anyway, I sat down recently with its director, Sean Baker. Bang, bang, bang. 
It grabs you from the first frame. Gritty and groundbreaking. Rolling Stone. Uproarious, a must-see. The New York Times. Even those who don't count themselves among the transgender prostitute movie shot on an iPhone demographic will want to try Tangerine, Daily Variety. My name is Sean Baker. I'm the co-writer and director of the film called Tangerine. Tangerine is about two transgender sex workers who frequent the area of Santa Monica and Highland, which is an intersection that borders West Hollywood and Hollywood in Los Angeles, California, and it takes place on Christmas Eve. Cindy Rella finds out from her best friend Alexandra that her boyfriend has been cheating on her while she's been away in jail for the last month. I got some good news to tell you. What? I've been keeping a secret about me and Chester. <laughs> Woo! I know what it is! Oh, You're girl. breaking up with him. Thank God! Because, Why? honey, for Why? him to be cheating on you like that... Wait, 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 wait. what? She decides at that point to track down the cisgender woman who is a part of the affair and confront her. All men cheat. That's why they're called trade. Do them just as dirty as they do us. Out here, it is all about our hustle. And that's it. What are you plotting? What is this based on? Well... My co-screenwriter, Chris Bragash, and I were both cisgender white guys from outside of that world. And so when we decided to make this film, we had no idea what the plot or script would be. And we decided to meet people from this area, immerse ourselves. And this stemmed from just the multiple stories and anecdotes that we heard. One of our actresses, Katana Kiki Rodriguez, told us that in the past recently her boyfriend had cheated on her with a cisgender woman. And so we took that and ran with it. We thought it was a sad but universally themed story of infidelity. And then we thought this could be quite a layered story and take our characters on a journey. That's where the A plot comes from. The B plot and all the other details really came from what we observed, what we heard, and really the feedback that we got from women in the area who told us how they wanted to be represented on screen and what stories they wanted to be told on screen. So you found the actresses first? Yeah. These are the sort of movies I make that are usually about worlds I'm not a part of. So what happens is that I have to spend a tremendous amount of time in the research process. But what I do is that I blend stages of filmmaking. So while I'm looking for the script, I'm also keeping my eyes open for possible lead actors. And in this case, we found Maya. Maya introduced us to Kiki. And immediately when I saw the two together, I thought, okay, well, now we're going to have to write a screenplay with two lead characters for these two women to play. Where did you find Maya? Chris and I initially hit the streets, just introducing ourselves to people on the streets. And we weren't getting very far because we were looked at as either police or tricks ourselves. And so we couldn't really find anybody to share that enthusiasm with us and want to be a part of this project. And then we expanded our search and we went over to this LGBT center, which is a block away from Santa Monica and Highland. And there's a courtyard there. And we saw Maya sitting there with some friends. And the first thing I thought was, that's the one. We have to speak with her. Her physicality drew us in, but also her aura. She was commanding the conversation that she was a part of at that moment. And she had a strong personality, even from 30 feet away. So we approached her. She said, I'm an aspiring entertainer. Here's my information. Next thing you know, we're hanging out regularly and conversing. What was her background? She came from Houston, Texas. She came to Los Angeles before her transition. 
and she's an aspiring entertainer focusing mostly on singing. So when I told her about this project, she, of course, wanted to participate, but she said, will I be able to sing in the project? And that's basically why we wrote that scene in which she sings at the club. She's found it very difficult to live in Los Angeles in those years after coming here because, as you know, it's very difficult for trans people to find employment. She happens to be a trans woman of color who came from poverty, so the opportunities weren't there for her. And uh, it was a struggle for a long time. And that LGBT center that services youth at risk was very helpful for her, finding her housing, etc. So really, she was in a limbo when we met her. She didn't know what she was going to be doing next. And we met her at a time where she was unsure about her future. I mean, this is something she's always wanted to do. And I'm so proud of her. What did you learn from doing this film? Of course, I learned about the sisterhood within the trans community. But again, this is a very specific trans community. I like to use the word community in the plural sense because there are trans communities, there are trans movements. This just happens to be one very small microcosm of one. So within that area, I learned a lot about what trans women of color coming from poverty have to deal with on a daily basis. Part of the reasons that actually led them to the streets, they're not there because they want to be in no way, shape, or form. They're there because oppression and discrimination have actually given them no other option but to resort to this underground economy, which is either you know sex work or selling drugs. I also did learn, though, that we all cope with our everyday existence and the pressures and problems with life with humor. I think that's how humans get by on a daily basis. We use humor to get by. These women who are dealing with even more hardship than the rest of us, they have to use their humor to even a greater degree to cope. And that's something that I saw from day one, hanging out with Maya, hanging out with Kiki and their friends. For me, it was quite a pleasurable time because I was always laughing. They were making me laugh. They were incredibly witty, incredibly funny, using their humor to get by, making jokes about the predicament that they were in. And then at night, I would get home and I would think about everything and I would think about the sad state of affairs that their existence is a part of. And it struck me as something that was like uh, during the day I was laughing and at night I was crying. And I wanted to infuse that into the movie. I wanted to actually have that balance of emotion and of tone in the film, because that's how I was feeling on a daily basis while doing this research. This has been a conversation with filmmaker Sean Baker. Tangerine is available on DVD, Blu-ray, digital download, and is currently streaming on Netflix. This is Steve Pride. Thanks for listening. Another great story, Steve. Thank Love you. That. Sean is such a pleasant man. Such a, I won't say young man. That makes me feel really old. <laughs> a pleasant young man. And Mia Taylor, I've got to tell you, for her first film, she was unemployed, sitting around, as he said, at the Gay Lesbian Center when he discovered her. And she's extraordinary in this film. Magnolia Pictures actually mounted a campaign to get her an Oscar. And although that didn't come through, 
She did win the Best Actress Award from the Independent Spirit. That is wonderful. That's, that whole thing is beautiful. Well, still to come, the director and star of the horror comedy You're Killing Me and a chance to win your own DVD copy of the film. He's sitting out in the lobby right now, and he's he so so charming, but Except he's, he's kind of scary. Me. Yeah, he's scaring, scaring me. me. <laughs> so don't go away. We'll be right back. The outrageous and controversial actress Tallulah Bankhead, coming up now on the Rainbow Minute. Tallulah Bankhead was born in 1902 in Alabama, the daughter of Congressman William Bankhead. Winning a national talent search at age 15 opened doors to the world of entertainment. Film and stage roles soon followed. While Tallulah was certainly the life of any party, her stage roles dwindled. Taking an astrologer's advice, she left for London and was soon the talk of the town. Women adopted her as their icon, clamoring to see her every performance. Tallulah had affairs with both men and women, including Marlena Dietrich and Greta Garbo. Once back in New York, she would embrace the stage, film, radio, and television. A life of excess in the Asian flu claimed her flamboyant persona and unique voice at the age of 66. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns and recorded in the studios at WRIR in Richmond, Virginia and read by volunteers like me, John Porter. Yes, it's true. You could have more friends, a better job, more money, and enjoy the kind of life you've always dreamed about. Homosexuals in America are better educated, travel more, and enjoy a higher standard of living than their straight counterparts. If you've ever sat alone watching television on a Saturday night or felt like your life was going nowhere, maybe homosexuality is right for you. Hi, this is Margaret Cho, and you're listening to I Am Are You on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am, are you? I am, are you? Hey, guy. Hey, guy. Let's date. Let's date. Cause we're both something special. And that's great. What I feel for you is groovy. It's quarter two. Oh, I must get a little hand put on that watch. Welcome back. The time is now 7.40. And you're listening to IMRU Radio. I am Steve Pride. And I'm Abby Dees. You're Killing Me was one of my favorite films of Outfest last year in Frameline. And guess what? It is finally coming out on DVD, on digital download, and all sorts of newfangled platforms. And joining us in the studio is the director and co-screenwriter of You're Killing Me, Jim Hansen. As well as the star's very creepy and cute film He's not star, that creepy. Matthew McKelligan. <laughs> well, no, I, I'm You're just, creepy I, in the film. I used to see him on Eastsiders as well, so ah. he's not creepy in that. So welcome, guys. Thank oh, thanks you. for having us. <laughs> what is the film about? 
Uh, the film's about a uh, a serial killer coming into his own, finding his place in the world. I, since Matthew's here, I'm I'm putting it all around him. <laughs> like a serial um, killer coming of it's age kinda, story. It sort of is. It's all, but it's also like him finding uh, his match in a guy who's uh, a self centered narcissist, uh, who they kind of encourage, who actually encourages his un- unwillingly, unwittingly encourages his um, psychotic behavior. Yeah. <laughs> A narcissist in West Hollywood. What is this based on? <laughs> what nonsense are you talking here? I don't know. We did write it. Jeffrey and I did write it, kind of based on our social group and like the worst aspects of ourselves. But we definitely had all the actors in mind that are in the movie. Pretty much, we wrote for them and for our, also like just you know calling out these aspects of our own personality. Well, Jeffrey, you're talking about Jeffrey's self, who yes. we know. From all sorts of other things on yeah, Logo. Yeah, Jeffrey and Cole Casserole. He had a show on Logo called Jeffrey and Cole Casserole. And uh, just, he's an author and a writer. I just got his his book in the mail today, a Drag Teen. Yes. Yeah, it's coming out soon. You, you got it in the mail? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's in advance probably because uh, it doesn't come out for a little while. I, I, I just saw the film today. Mm-hmm. And I I mean, I'll be honest. I heard I had not heard of the movie. And then I, uh, I Googled it. And I was like, oh, a slasher film? I don't watch slasher films. <laughs> and so, you know, I sort of grudgingly turned it on. I thought it was so fun. And it was like, I don't know the genre, so I don't know how it relates to the genre. I can't think it's typical. It's campy and fun, and it's got this message of love, and, you know, it's got a couple of social messages, and it's about a serial killer with, you know, sort of gleeful stabbing scenes and things like that. Did you want to have like a social social message? Is it is that what you visualized when you did it? Or? Yeah, we wanted to sort of. I mean, when it's a low budget movie that we're sort of making ourselves with our group of friends, you can't really just make something that's uh, that's something you've seen before. So we had to sort of take a risk and do something a little unusual. And we decided to um, to do something kind of dealing with social media and how all of us are so you know obsessed with it and it just sort of takes over your life to a certain point and you know you lose track of what's really right in front of you um and so that's like when when we're like well what if a killer just sort of like entered our friend group and that's where matthew comes in yeah (laughs) it made me really think about my past relationships yeah i mean it it is the things Mm -hmm. i've ignored just because they had pretty eyes things that were right in front of you that you ignored i mean this is the ongoing thing and people tell you like if you're you meet somebody and you start going out and they're like oh you know you should know i'm crazy and you're like oh okay you know and they're they're telling you the truth they're like yeah you, you know i'm an alcoholic so and you're like oh okay whatever and then later you find out oh this actually is a problem I like what you were saying this week about Donald Trump basically yeah. <laughs> like how he's like you know people aren't even really he's like telling you exactly what he is and people are still like yay <laughs> and foreign women still sleep with him they do, uh, I, do. No, not. well you co-wrote with um, with Jeffrey so mm-hmm. how did you find Matthew Matthew and I have been friends for quite a while and he um, <laughs> do you want to tell this story which oh, story? tell the story. Tell <laughs> well, any story. Matthew uh, is, is obsessed with serial killers and yes. always has, like, we'll be driving in the car. like, right over there is where those kids were found. They found those dead bodies. <laughs> I'm like, what? And then he goes into some long story about the history. I mean, you do know the, all the serial killers in L.A. You've done all the Dearly them. Departed tours mm-hmm. in L.A. I'm sure you have. That is run by a friend of a friend of mine. Of course. And I, it's like I, I know so much that I, I, I don't want to go on it because I'm just going to be You're going to be correcting people. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be correcting have to people. Kill you. Yeah. Well, before we go on much further, I do want to mention that this is out already. came out last week on WolfOnDemand.com, iTunes and Vimeo, as well as on DVD. And we have... 
DVD copies of You're Killing Me that we are going to give away to the next few callers here at IMRU. The number to win your DVD of You're Killing Me is 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-KPFK. So let's light up those phone lines. Jeffrey, was this hard for you to take on this role? Matthew. Matthew. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Jeffrey's usually here. (laughs) Uh, Difficult? Whoever you are. Um, Yes and no. I mean, like... Like Jim was saying, I'm 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 already obsessed with serial killers, and I guess I'm pretty cold and dark anyway. But um, it definitely put me in a dark place having to prepare for this. And well, prepare. What sort of research do you do for something like this? Well, I'll tell you. I went to the uh, the library downtown, and I went into the crime section and I checked out all these serial killer books like any A-list celebrity would do, right? <laughs> You're on a watch list somewhere right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was really horrifying going down there. I mean, apart from the fact that there are homeless everywhere uh, throughout the, the main library because that's a safe space. Um, the notes I would find in these books were pretty scary. The oh, sketches, really? people would check out these serial killer books and they're, they're highlighted and there's notes and drawings, mm. like people. It just, it didn't sit right with like me. Like little stars like, oh, this is a good one. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like I'll remember yeah. that technique yeah. later. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, you... I, w- I want to know, so first though, what are your favorite movie serial killers? Uh, well, I mean, Hannibal Lecter. But Patrick, of course. Patrick Bateman. Um, I, I, I like Jeffrey Dahmer. He was very unique, but I, I don't think I was the biggest fan of the Dahmer movie. Although Jeremy. Are there any serial killers in real life that you would date? Uh. Except for the serial killing thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That puts you in a bit of a bind, I think. Um, you know, like, I live on the east side, so I like hipsters, so maybe some, like, serial killer from the 19th century with, like, nice facial hair. I was going to say know. the hillside strangler, but that's not going back well, that was two guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that guy was attractive. And east side. Yeah, yeah. And you're right. Side. All you're your right. qualifications in the man. Yeah, yeah there you right. go. <laughs> uh, so I'm curious, because I was watching this, and I also thought, I mean, this film is looking at our community pretty critically and I mean with lovingly but it's not trying to pretend that we're all perfect we've got it all figured right. out we have our issues and you know we've come a long way that we can actually do a film like that and have it come from our community but did you get any sort of negative reaction about that yeah we've yeah. got it. we've got mm-hmm. yeah like what um people don't like to see gay people portrayed in an unflattering light yeah. and I think that I, for me, that was a really important thing to do is to make us not all be heroes because we're not. We're flawed, just like everybody else in the world. Somebody even like wrote something about how like because gay people are killed, it's a hate crime. And like, no, we're just it's murder. It, it's you know, it's like. But I also, you know, I just like we're we're in the mix with everybody else now. I mean, I think we've come so far so fast, which is now it's time to like sort of like let's analyze let's analyze ourselves. Let's like like look at who we've become, and you know. And we're not really digging that deep, but but in but we're not we're not innocent of being we're not perfect people, you know. So I'm like to skewer us too. A reminder that we have copies of this film that we're giving away if you call eight one eight nine eight five five seven three five again eight one eight nine eight five five seven three five and get your own copy of You're Killing Me. 
<laughs> I actually had questions about whether the main character, the killer, was actually gay or mm-hmm. if he was just bloodthirsty. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he doesn't want to have sex. Yeah. So, I mean, I think for me, the Joe character is always been gay and has had no problem with his, you know, his his sexuality or like who, he, who you know who he's attracted to but he doesn't really want to have sex with anyone cuz he's not a sexual being his his that outlet is taken up by you know by violence so his so he's sort of like a person whose sexuality has been diverted into this other thing which i think is uh, um Pretty typical yeah. for a serial killer. Like they're not going to tell you. Since you studied this, yeah. yes. <laughs> what did you bring to your stuff? Just you know, aside from the highlighting moments in the library, did, like did you learn anything that translated to the screen or? Well, not necessarily. Um, I mean, this is a comedy after all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, we took some liberties because I don't think the normal, like our killer, doesn't ever lie. Like he totally tells the truth, absolutely honest. And that is not necessarily a thing that a serial killer would always tell the truth. But we made ours kind of more like a like a man child. Like he, part of the reason he's not in his sex is because he's still like emotionally still a child, d- is very literal and like is not really been able to grow into a person yet. And part of this story is him becoming a person by coming out as a serial killer, falling in love, uh, and kind of be developing real emotions for somebody. So it is a love story as well. Yeah. He, he gets very excited. It's a love story. <laughs> he gets very excited when he realizes that he's jealous. Mm-hmm. Of, every Yeah, every yeah. moment is growing. He feels he something. He just handles like, it badly. Yeah, he just. Yeah. 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 If he, he'd be a great <laughs> boyfriend if he weren't a killer. <laughs> I feel like I've dated that person except for the serial killer. It, I mean, it's, 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 it's <laughs> based man on that. The man-child who's mm-hmm. maybe not as honest as, as, as Joe, though. Yeah. Well, I think we're all a little serial killer. No, no, we're not. No, that's, we are. Not, no. <laughs> I, I do hope we're emphasizing this is a very funny, funny very, movie. Very, very funny. Yeah. And strangely sweet. I, I was watching it thinking, if somebody didn't know the definition of camp, I just have to show them this film. It's To me, it was like the perfect camp mm-hmm. thing. You know, there's like a sing-along in the car, you know, mm-hmm. with the murderer. You know, that's campy. Yeah. And all the all the all the cast just they're so funny. I mean, it's yeah. all all really really funny comedians. You had a couple a couple of the characters are have a regular web series, a mm-hmm. video series, and that's sort of an ongoing story yeah. subplot. Uh, do they do that in real life? Yeah, they do. How did that came about? Come about? Yeah, Jeffrey and Brian they actually do Jeffrey. Uh, Brian Safi and Jeffrey Self actually do a web series as well. I do one with Drew Drogi, the, mm-hmm. the Chloe uh, 70 parody videos. Um, and then Sam Pancake and Drew Drogi do Golden Girls. And like, this we all This is a who's who cast of funny yeah. gay men. It is like, yeah, it's a, I mean, I, it's the people that I love. Yeah. Oh. One of the hallmarks <laughs> of this sort of slasher film is the sequel. Mm. So we're holding our breath and can you tell us? Uh, well, Mindy Cohen, she she came up with the, from the Facts title of Life. from Facts of Life. She's that in the movie. That sealed the campiness with <laughs> yeah. seeing her pull up. Yeah. Uh, the sequel will be called "We're Killing You," and it's going to be a a tag team duo with Mindy Cohen and Joe. Are you just making that up, or is that true? No, no she she, she came it. up with it. Yeah, it's pretty funny. <laughs> I mean, she she pitched that. She she worked for one day, captivated everybody because she's just so charming and funny and was such a delight to have around. And she already came up with like her her lead in the sequel. We're like, yeah, let's 
We'll see how this goes, but yeah, I'd be game. <laughs> we love her. She's, she's in a number so of great. gay films. She's yeah, great. she's a she's a big supporter of everything gay, and she told a really interesting story about, I mean, I don't know if this is my story to tell, but about meeting Nancy Reagan when she was on Facts of Life and, like, you know, kind of confronting her about, like, why aren't you talking about AIDS? When she was, like, you know, wow. a kid. Yeah. Wow. Good and she got her. Time, she got timely. escorted off set. Yeah. Yeah. And then Nancy got whisked away. And I had <laughs> no idea she yeah, was she's, so badass. Yeah, she's always been really, really political and really smart. Okay, now I love her. Yeah. I, I do want to touch base on something because every actor in this town seems to have something else going on and you are a landscape architect. I am. It's pretty pretty weird How do you combination. Have time to do that with all this going on with all these shows and movies and everything. Um, well, I am my own boss, so that helps a lot. Um, I don't know. How does anyone have time? Yeah, in the twenty first century, to do anything. Why do I feel a slasher film answering that question <laughs> is in the works? Who the mower? Wow, that'd, oh. be, mower. that'd be a tool of destruction. <laughs> the chipper shredder. Chipper shredder. Oh, that's been done. Yeah. But I don't know anything about. Hey, slasher is there films. a website where we can get more information? Well, I mean, I think basically it's our uh, Facebook page is probably where yeah. the most information is. You're killing me. The movie. If you just type in "You're killing me" on Facebook, it pops up. We. I mean, I have my website. JimHansonFilms.com. And I have my There's website. links to everything, too. What's your website? <laughs> MatthewMcElligan.com. Okay. Easy. Easy. And um, I should mention you are on Eastsiders, which is one yes. of my favorite, favorite web series, oh, which thanks. is now out. Now it's a pay series of yes. Emmy Out On Demand. Yes. We are. I To be honest, I can't remember which outlet we're on right now because uh, – as typical with online content, it goes from outlet to outlet. So we were on Vimeo. We might still be. And the uh, DVD was on Wolf. DVDs on Wolf. Mm-hmm. Hey, Kathy Wolf on. She's fantastic. Very yes. fantastic. Yeah, we, I lo- we love them at Wolf. They've been so Yeah, great. they've been super nice. Well, yeah. thank you guys for stopping by. Again, as we're closing out, if you are looking to get a free copy, that's the word free, which you don't hear on that many shows on KPFK. We're usually calling out... Our fun drive number. But, but this you can is, give us money if you, you want You can to. give us money, but right <laughs> now, in the final moments of the show, give us a call at 818-985-5735. And thank you guys for stopping by. Thanks for having thank us. Thank you. Come back for the for this sequel. Well, that's it for tonight. Our thanks to IMRU's coordinating producer, Steve Pride, our director, Michelle Marie Gilkison, our board op, uh, Frederico Garcia, and our Rainbow Minute producers, Judd Proctor and Brian Burns. And a shout out to our winners of the DVD, Carlos, Brian, John, Sherry, and William. Cool. Way to go, guys. We're going to close out tonight's show with something fun that someone sent me. It's a song from the 1970 Puff and Snuff feature film, Here's Mama Cass Elliot as Witch Hazel singing different. Good night. When I was smaller and people were taller, I realized that I was different. I had a power that set me apart. I learned to take it, to use it, to make it. It's not so bad to be different, to do your own thing and do it with heart. Different is hard, different is lonely, different is trouble for you only. Different is heartache, different is pain, but I'd rather be different than be the same. 
I'd wonder what hex I was under. What did I do to be so different? Then I discovered some others like me. Wonder no longer, together we're stronger. It's not so bad to be different. Be true to yourself, that's what you must be. <laughs> 